Hello, listeners, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Cinema Recall Podcast, continuing our PTA Maiden series. Before I get into our episode on Punch Drunk Love with guests Ed from the Film Effect Podcast and Ryan from Soundtrack Your Life, just have to do a quick little housekeeping things here. Now, if you're listening to this on Patreon, I'm going to be announcing the episodes that are coming up in the future. And if you're listening to us on our main feed, these are shows that are in the past. So, yes. So, coming up here on our episodes, I know that me and my friend Ashley, we are going to be talking about Stream, which I don't know why they're not calling it Stream 5. But yeah, we're going to be talking about the latest Stream movie for a bonus little episode. And then next week, our good friend Heather Bassendale of the MILF cast will be coming on our live show to be talking about our favorite uh, female action characters. And we're going to talk a little bit about cancer culture a little bit. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then also on our main feed, I'm going to be having on Carlo of the movie loot to talk about Phantom Thread. And then I believe that same week on our Patreon, my good buddy Donnie Roberts, uh, who is going to be coming an upcoming co-host of ours, we are going to be talking about the movie There Will Be Blood, continuing out our PTA meeting series. And I just let you know, folks, that during this show, uh, there were some little technical issues here. Nothing major, uh, but you'll notice our microphone level kind of just switches here and there. Uh, but overall, a uh, very fun show, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So here we go right now. Oh yeah, this episode does contain adult language, movie spoilers, some slight nudity, la-da-da. Punch Drunk Love, PT Meetings. I love you all and have a good day. Yeah, this is Dean. Hey, it's me. This guy from LA, Barry Egan. He's calling on the other line. He's saying all this stuff. He wants to talk to a supervisor or whatever. What'd you say? Nothing. I put him through. No, no, no. This is bad. Shut up. Will you shut up? Okay, sexy. I'm going to connect you with my supervisor now. You're in trouble, honey. Who's this? Hello, sir. My name's Barry Egan. I called your service the other night. Shut the fuck up. Oh, what's that? I said calm down and shut the fuck up. What's the problem? The problem is if you give me a chance to explain one of your employees, that girl who I was just speaking with has been threatening me, and four blonde gentlemen just attacked me and smashed my car and hurt my girl. All right, go fuck yourself. That shit has nothing to do with me. All right, I run a legitimate business here. Listen to me. What's your name, sir? Answer me! What's your name, asshole? I'm Barry Egan! How do I know? You could be anybody, You're a bad head. person. You have no right taking people's confidence in your service. You understand me, sir? You're sick. No, no, no. Shut up! Shut the fuck up! You have up. no right to take people's Shut trust. up! Will you shut up? Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Shut up! Now! Are you threatening me, dick? Why don't you... You go fuck yourself! Oi! Fuck! Did you just say, go fuck myself? Yes, I did. That wasn't good! You're dead! Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another bonus episode of the Cinema Recall Podcast. This is PTA Meetings. We are covering the films from Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson. And today, I've got two newbies on my show, uh, two uh, versions to my show. I promised them that I'll be very gentle and very sweet. 
Um, I have uh, with me right now, I've got uh, Ryan from Soundtrack of Your Life. Welcome, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you very much, sir. And I have got Ed from the Film Effect Podcast. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you very much. And I want to say there too, Ed, thank you very much because I entered a contest for the Film Effect Podcast to win. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I won the entire um, Planet of the Apes collection, and I'm very grateful. I, you know, I watched all the new ones with okay, Caesar. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watched that whole entire trilogy, and then I'm going to go back and watch the original ones from the 60s and go through those. And then at the end, I'll watch the remake with uh, Marky Mark. <laughs> yeah. Mark, Mark Wahlberg, who, yeah, who was in our previous episode talking about Boogie Nights. Mm. Great film. Much better than Planet of the Apes. There you go. <laughs> but go ahead, Ed. Uh, tell the listeners out there a little bit more about the Film Effect podcast. All right, no problem. So basically it's myself and my best friend, Sean, uh, the two of us get together, and once, sometimes twice or more a week, we do a deep dive on a different film, uh, covering it, ins and outs, breaking it down. It's, it's a whole entire deep dive. Plus, we talk about everything going on in the world of film, you know, at the uh, time of recording. Um, it's 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 fun, if you, you know. Uh, you got a couple hours of your time. You know, yeah. check us out. Uh, we just we just uh, we're in the middle of Best Picture Month. We just covered. Well, we did a one-off for the holidays. We did uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and we oh. just recorded our final episode for Best Picture Month, which was Rain Man, which is releasing on New Year's Eve, and I'm really excited about that. And then we're taking a couple weeks off for the new year, and then we're coming back with a bunch of stuff for January. And the new, I'm, I'm really excited about 2022, so a lot of stuff going on. We have a Patreon we're launching, so good stuff ahead. Looking forward to it. we got a lot of good celeb- celebrity interviews um, lined up. Um, some big names I can't reveal just oh. yet, but uh, well, oh yeah, all right, oh yeah, one of which is like I, I, I was just like no way, no way, but that... uh, look out for that one in March. Damn, and, uh, yeah. Well, Good I, stuff coming up. Looking b- forward b- to it. That is amazing. Best luck to you. I'm very excited to hear your Long Kiss Goodnight episode. That's one of my favorite movies. It doesn't really get uh, talked about much. Spoiler alert! When's the last time you watched it? Uh like last uh, like a few days ago. Okay, to each their own. Uh, I haven't seen it in about 10 years, and it was not the same film I remember it being. Not the same. So it's still okay. a fun episode, though. I'm not discouraging you from listening to it. Okay, fair enough there. Hey, I, I like uh, different opinions about movies, so, you know, no fault right there. Yeah, as yeah, long yeah. as you have fun, talk about the movie, regardless of what your opinions are. Uh, so very cool. Right. Excited to hear about that. Uh, you can definitely follow the Film of Fit podcast on the Twitter sphere at Film of Fet Pa, capital F, capital E, capital P. So thank you very much for that. And next on here, we have Mr. Ryan from Soundtrack Your Life, or Soundtrack of Your Life. Welcome. Soundtrack Your Life. Just Soundtrack Your Life? Okay, see, the whole thing too, when I was like finding the thing on like, uh, through the podcast things, I'm like, is it supposed to be Soundtrack of Your Life or just Soundtrack Your Life? Okay, so. Yeah, it could be either, so. Well, thank you very much for joining the show with us. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about your show as well. Uh, so I have a soundtrack podcast, and that kind of doubles as a music and film podcast since it's often difficult to talk about a soundtrack without talking about the movie. Punch Trunk Love has an amazing soundtrack or amazing score oh, done yes. by John Bryan. Um, so we do a, 
episode uh, twice a month. Um, we do one episode with me and my co-host, Brandis and Nicole, and we do an episode uh, with a guest. And we talk about different soundtracks that they're choosing, and we kind of talk about all the different connections they have to the soundtrack. Sometimes, you know, it helps them get into a director like Paul Thomas Anderson. Sometimes the soundtrack gets them into a specific band. So we just kind of go through uh, those different threads, and it's, uh, it's always a fun ride. Yeah, and I love the episodes you have on here. You did one for Daisy Confused and the Royal mm -hmm. Bombs and Scream 2. And you even did one about The Simpsons. Their album, they did Songs in the Key of Springfield, which is kind of cool because that's based on a whole entire, like, series. It's not based on just, like, one episode or one movie. They're just, like, different characters yeah, and we just kind of ended up talking about, you know, all the different songs in The Simpsons, whether it's, you know, the movie or the TV show. And, you know, they cover a lot of different genres in that show. Yeah, very much. that's all that song that's in Springfield is all the table of like incidental music and clips of the shows, like little musical interludes within that. I still think you should cover Simpsons in the blues. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan of that album, but. It's technically not a soundtrack, so that's kind of why we went that's, with okay. uh, Songs of the Key of Springfield. Fair enough there. That, okay, you Make got it me a there. I just want you guys to do the Bartman. Oh, we do talk about that episode. Okay, good. Okay, all right. Very cool. Um, and you can definitely find uh, Soundtrack Your Life at – I just had it here, and I'm horrible with my – Soundtrack Your Life at just at Soundtrack underscore your on the Twittersphere – uh, check them out on the website, soundtrackyourlife.net. Um, now, today's guys, like I said before, the intro that most people know when they click on this episode, that we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. But I have to ask each of you what your history is with Paul Thomas Anderson and what was the first movie you ever saw of Paul Thomas Anderson. I'll start with you, Ed. What was your history with Paul Thomas Anderson and what was the first movie you ever saw of his? first movie I saw was Boogie Nights okay. back in March, I believe, of 98 when it first came out on VHS. Me and a couple of my buddies rented it. Um, and I've been a fan of his. I, I missed out on Magnolia because it didn't appeal to me because I was still like around 15 or so. I wasn't quite a mature movie fan that I am today. So uh, this this film came out uh, around an interesting time of my life. I was actually graduating from high school. I was working as a manager of Blockbuster Video and then this came out, and uh, it's just something about this movie I've just been attached to since I first saw it going on shit, 20 years next year. Oh, um, well, we'll definitely yeah, hold on to your thoughts about Punch Drunk Love just a second later here. But I want to hear from Ryan about your history with Paul Thomas Anderson. And what was the first movie you ever saw of his? Uh, the first movie I saw of Paul Thomas Anderson's was Magnolia. Okay, I wow. I see it in the theater. Um, I saw it in college, and... I had heard all the hype about Paul Thomas Anderson, so I started with the one that got nominated for all those awards, and I was not disappointed. Fair enough. Oh, very cool. Uh, I know for sure I, I started with Boogie Nights. The worst thing is, too, I said it before, my parents rented this movie, and after they got done watching it, they says, Jason, we saw it. watched a great movie. It's all about porno. You should watch it. It's called Boogie Nights. <laughs> Here you go. And they let me watch it by myself, and I was like, oh, okay. And it was a VHS, and I thought, oh, this is actually really entertaining. And when it came out to DVD, my dad got it. And that was, like, the first commentary track I ever listened to for a movie. 
And Paul Thomas Anderson just does a really great job of, like, commenting on movies. I'm thinking, oh, damn, this looks like a fun guy to know. And after that, yeah, I just started seeing every one of his movies. I did not get a chance to see Magnolia in theaters because it wasn't really playing at any multiplexes where I was at. And then I did see about Punch Drunk Love coming out to theaters. And I know for sure this was the first movie I ever saw of his in theaters. From Paul Thomas Anderson. The director of Boogie Nights in Magnolia. There's this friend of mine from work who I think is really cute and really cool, and I want you to meet her. What do you think? Yeah, I don't want to do that. Punch Drunk Love is a romantic comedy on the edge. <laughs> on the edge of being a comedy. On the edge of being romantic. On the edge of sanity. And on the edge, the leading one of American movies themselves. I'm going to Hawaii on Friday. Hawaii? I was thinking about going there. Really? I'm probably not going to go, though. The Los Angeles Times calls it as wonderful as it is strange. Winner, best director at the Cannes Film Festival. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. Adam Sandler, Emily Watson, Punch Drunk Love. Yes! Rated R. Now playing in New York and L.A. Opens Friday in Additional City. When did you first see Punch Drunk Love? And I'll, I'll start with you. Tell me when you first saw Punch Drunk Love and then tell me your experience with it because you were going into that earlier. Yeah, yeah, I saw it in the theater. You uh, did? Okay. Definitely. Uh, I saw it in the uh, theater. And definitely checked it out when it first came out on uh, DVD. And, um, yeah, because that was one of the – it came out with a really cool packaging on the DVD. It was like a cardboard slipcase and whatnot that uh, Columbia did for it. Pretty interesting uh, to look back on. And, it, yeah, I mean, we'll get into my, my overall thoughts in, in a bit, but uh, that was – my first time seeing it in the theater. Wait, I like that we mentioned too about that packaging arc because I remember the back of it had like a heart on it and it's just a picture mm-hmm. of Adam Sandler's face yep. close up. And I could be wrong, but I thought that... Yeah, well, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the one sheet. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not sure which one, it was, but I know it's that Adam Sandler's face and he was one of the main credits on here. And right. tell me if I'm wrong, but didn't Punch Drunk Love and Andrew Management kind of come close together? When it came out on DVD? Yeah, because this came out, this got a, a wide release around Christmas time, uh, well, award season, as I call it, um, in 2002. And then Anger Management came out that following spring. So yeah. they're about four, four or five months apart. Very, yeah, so I, I do remember like live audiences. When I worked at a theater, people would come up to the, we had the clerk store, the video store, and asked me about these movies. And I had to tell them, like, well, they're both completely different, but they're both yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you got that right. Ryan, wh- wh- tell me, when did you first see Punch Drunk Love? I think I saw it when it first came out on DVD because I couldn't find anyone to watch it with me because they were too. all my friends were too confused about watching this serious Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I, I, I was one of my best friends to see this movie in theaters because, you know, we were both fans of, like, Happy Gilmore and we were fans of Billy Madison. So we're thinking, sure. Why not? Uh, my friend really had no idea about Paul Thomas Anderson. He's seen Boogie Nights, but he didn't see Magnolia. Didn't care to see that. And I said, all right, well, let's go check this out. And it was playing not at a uh, multiplex. We actually had to go into the cities to go watch it at Art House Theater. And so yeah, right away, yeah. my friend's like, uh, Vern, I don't know, man. Uh, but both watched it. And I know he laughed at several times because there are some really just gut-bustingly laugh-out-loud moments in this movie. 
And mm-hmm. but at the end of the movie, he says, yeah, "It was funny at first, but I have no idea what the hell is going on with this. Uh, I'm never going to watch it again." Yeah, if you're going into it expecting a typical Adam Sandler film, then you've got another thing coming because you clearly don't know PTA, and it's definitely a movie that says something at the end of it. So. It's not your usual, you know, gutbuster that Sandler would put out. It's not his schlock, as uh, some would say. Definitely something that um, gets you thinking, you know. And it also, another thing it did, I can speak firsthand from working at a video store when it came out, it got a lot of conversations going. Sure. You know, about what it was, what it was about, you know, because Sandler brought in that crowd. And I'm going to guesstimate 75% of that audience didn't know what the hell they just watched after the 90 minute mark and the film ended, you know, it went over a lot of people's heads, at least from my perspective, from people bringing it back that were like, you recommended this. What the hell was it? Yeah. I, even, I don't know if you agree with this or not too, Ryan, uh, but I kind of feel like even if you're a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson's other movies, like especially Punch Drunk Love, Magnolia and Heart Eight, if you go into this movie, it's, it's very different from other uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies. I don't know if he's made a breezy movie, but I feel like this is kind of a breezy movie for him. I was going to say, you can consider this a safe film. Some people would label it um, for him. I had this argument. It's funny you bring this up. Uh, I actually had this debate with – we have a frequent guest, one of my close friends, or our close friends, Justin, who's on the show. And uh, Usually he was on there for one of our PTA episodes. We just did Inherent Vice, and he was on there with us, and – He's vocal about this movie. He hates it. He's it's and so does my co-host Sean. Like they both are like it's always me against them whenever this film gets brought up, and I'm in the minority. Um, and he always has the same argument that you know it's kind of like his safe movie that he was just trying to like kind of pander to like that audience uh, at at the time, and like he just doesn't get it. He's tried, but. Every time he tries to watch it, he just comes out just not being a fan of it. So, I mean, like I always say, you know, film is subjective. Film is subjective. So sure. To each their own. And, you know, well, it is what it is. I, I happen to think this is one of his finer films. Uh, it's not quite my favorite, but it's definitely in my top three. Might be my second favorite film. You see, I, I think this movie takes more risks than something like There Will Be Blood. Like, there Will Be Blood is a brilliant yes. movie, and I'm not just not that movie at all. It's an incredible movie, but I feel like There Will Be Blood, which is key right after Punch Drunk Love, was Paul Thomas saying, "Go hey, okay, I'm sorry for those of you who did not like Punch Drunk Love. I, I, I'm going to do something here that you know you're going to like again, and you're going to enjoy the hell out of it." So yeah, and I think with the uh, Punch Drunk Love, he was trying to do something new. He wanted to make a romantic comedy, but he wanted to make a romantic comedy unlike anyone else made before. Uh, I know that he was probably a big fan of like uh, French cinema and French comedy and that's what I get through watching this movie. And it has a lot to do with Adam Sandler's performance. As Ryan mentioned before, the music from John Bryan is absolutely amazing. Uh, the cast is all great. It has those elements of being an Adam Sandler movie, especially when he starts getting angry at things. Um, and it's just got that great delivery. So for people who are fans of Adam Sandler, you can still see a lot of the Adam Sandler performances or the nuances that he has, but I just like the way the film kind of screws this. And I watched the again with one of my roommates and mm-hmm. kind of watched this along with uh, Phantom Thread, 
And he says that both movies are very similar. Like they have this very uh, anxiety driven tone to it. Funny because that's my favorite film of his is Phantom Thread. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's that's an amazing movie too. But I was watching the Punch mm-hmm. Drunk Love. He's saying, "Is this supposed to be a comedy?" Because I'm not laughing at all. I'm just feeling more nervous than actually liking these people. And I'm like, okay, I can't really fault that at all. I mean, uh, Barry Egan, who I mentioned, played by Adam Sandler, is very much a uh, nervous type of guy. Every every Paul Thomas Anderson film speaks on something. He always has he always brings awareness to something, whether it's like Scientology with the master or like um he wanted to make a, a noir film, but it's also an adaptation with inherent vice. Um there's always a message with something like the industry, um there's a religious message with um um Magnolia. This, yes, it's PTA making a romantic comedy with Adam Sandler, but he's also bringing awareness to introversion and social anxiety orders, uh, disorder, I'm sorry, like um, anxiety issues. Uh, this is like, Barry Egan is like your lead narrative, and that's all that surrounds him. It's just social anxiety, whether it's in the form of this pudding crisis, this hotline stalker, his seven evil sisters. There's always something, you know. So I'm actually looking forward to discussing the whole opening scene with you guys uh, whenever you guys are ready to dive into it. So. Oh, to talk about opening scenes? Well, uh, let's before we get into like moments from this movie, uh, let me ask sure. you this, Ryan. Okay, did you have? I kind of want to look to like each of the other characters in this. Um, talk about Barry Egan, but I do want to talk about uh, Emily Watson's performance a little bit as Lena in this. Now, I've only seen Emily Watson in Breaking the Waves, and that was a Lars von Trier movie that I don't know if anyone else here in the room have seen Breaking the Waves, but I thought she was good. And it was really kind of like odd to have Adam Sandler be on screen because she's an indie actor. Same thing, too, with like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, but I thought that he played his own very well. But I just want to talk briefly uh, about... Lena's role in this, and I'll start with you, Ryan. You know, it's really hard to pinpoint it, but she's just such a lovable, like, pure person in this movie. People have often said, too, that uh, they never really quite understood why Lena would talk to this neurotic, strange guy and I said, well, the key scene is when she talks to him and says, I saw a picture of you and your seven sisters, and I had to meet you. And Barry Eden's like, what? No, no way. And he asks her, well, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And she says, well, I'm the complete opposite. I'm an only child. And he's like, it must be nice. And she's like, no, it was terrible. So she sees in him having all those sisters and big families she's thinking that's absolutely great and for him it's an absolute hellhole because his sisters treat him like absolute shit and so he sees you know her having this you know being the only child is being wonderful and great but she sees it being lonely and they both have these issues and they're very much alike and that's why i say no she she sees something in him and whatnot and i found it to be just a very late-hearted moment of it, and that's what made me kind of fall in love a little bit more with that character. 
Well, later, yeah. like the Yendu is Yang. She's got social issues herself. Let's sure. not forget. She's kind of quirky in her own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with everything you said about her. She is the most lovable person, you know. Who's almost, in a sense, kind of too good for Barry. Um, Would you call her like the manic pitsy dream girl? I'd say I'd yes and no. I'd say yeah. I mean, kind of. Oh, kind um, of being that dream woman and everything too, but. Uh, she doesn't always like agree with everything that Adam Sandler's character does, and she tries to like open him up a little bit more. Uh, but she does kind of call him on a few things too, which I actually enjoyed about the character. She's just not a person that just kind of goes along with every table, like you know, fantasies that Barry Eaton wants in a woman. Yeah, she's definitely well, she, she definitely has more depth than I think the stereotypical manic pixie dream girl all right she's kind of like a representation of love sure Um, you know i i feel like i almost feel like every character in this movie is 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 perfectly crafted and everyone has their own representation of something or another um and like i said in this case for elena she's a representation of love for barry's life something that he's never experienced before and um and again i kind of have to go back to like her quirkiness because she's you know kind of like that herself and um she's a pusher mm-hmm. um you know she gets Barry to do things even things that he doesn't realize you know that he wouldn't normally do uh, kind of like just spontaneously just get up and go to the airport and fly to Hawaii yeah <laughs> say hi and get, you know it, it's crazy so, yeah, that was one, th- and I'm pretty sure for people who are listening to the show, if you're listening to the show, I hope you have actually seen Punch Drunk Love, because we're kind of going back and forth, like, talking about plot and characters, uh, but that was one of the most, like, kind of, like, strangest things about the plot, the fact that this character, Brie Aiden, he works at this factory selling, like, uh, toiletries, I guess you would say. Like toilet plungers. Toilet plungers with yeah. the no-break handles. Um, and he has this relationship with his seven sisters who all kind of like pick on him. And then one night he decides to call a phone sets line and then the phone sets operator starts uh, harassing him for money. And this is about the same time where uh, the character of Lena comes in and he starts to really become infatuated with her. But at the same time, he's still trying to sort of like hold together his insanity, and he doesn't want his sisters to know about what's going on in his love life. He doesn't want other people to know about his love life and things going on with his sister. And you're right, the whole thing is very subjective, and it's all kind of a Mac mess. Um, I, we got to talk more about the score there, uh, but John Brand's score, the way that it conveys, you know, the way you're feeling, it's, it's just absolutely brilliant there too and i kind of feel in a whirlwind every time i watch this movie and i get confused and i get anxious and that's kind of the point of the movie in a way um let's talk briefly about the him and the seven sisters a little bit there ed um what do you think about that going on there why the seven sisters it could have been like two sisters what what was the point of having the seven sisters um, I had a, I wrote down some notes and my as far as the sisters go, uh, personally uh, thinking about this, I put 
I think his sisters represent pushers in life that we all normally deal with. Like in Mary's case, they're sort of like a test for his social anxiety. Each sister is kind of different. Like everyone else, like uh, you have Elizabeth, the, the main sister who, we, you know, who's pushing for, uh, she's kind of like the representation of love, kind of like um, Lena. Well, she actually plays a part in the Lena character because she's pushing for them to get together. Mm-hmm. And then we have um, the other sister who uh, calls him gay boy. Like calling him nervous and constantly calling him out. That's Elizabeth. And then yeah. said, there's the one who's always calling him gay boy nonstop. And that's just kind of like... Uh, one of them, like a, like a nagging tick or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't put the words for something <laughs> like that. But I felt like all seven of them, we're not even introduced to half of them. We only know like three of them. And um, they all just, I feel like, are a different representation of something or, or another. Yeah. You know, there's got to be a specific reason why he chose seven for you know this story. So there's a reason behind it. I, I think that's what it is. I, I think... And I'm just sort of like just guessing on here too because just seven seems like a pretty big number to have, and I just kind of like the fact even that opening scene, uh, where they're all kind of calling back and forth is just absolutely brilliant, and you know just kind of right away the pressure and stress this character is going through because as you mentioned before, Barry's very much an introvert, and he does have you know love out there. Um, but he's also kind of unsure of himself and his sisters kind of know this and they kind of rate on him about it. And I think they're doing this to sort of like him to like loosen up a little bit. And mm-hmm. as all siblings do, they all kind of like rate on each other a little bit. And it's, it's clear that Barry has more like, uh, infeminate traits to him and his sisters have like a little bit more masculine traits to their characters. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also, so I have four older sisters. Oh, okay. So I think part of having him having a big family and having them all the opposite gender is, you know, you can feel like you're being ganged up on just because, you know, you're the only boy. Sure. And then even though the sisters seem to be particularly nasty in this movie, they always think that they're trying to look out for you in a way. Yeah. Um, so I mean, they, the gay they, boy is probably still in that sister's mind, like out of love. Yeah, yeah, because it comes from a story. When he walks in the house, or t- she's telling a story. You can hear uh, in the background. Um, I, I, I didn't write the story down. I can't remember what it was um, about the time when he was little, and that's where you know they started calling him that. Um, but what I was going to say real quick is, um, I mean, they drive him essentially to smash the, the, the glass, the window, mm-hmm. you know, that that's that's Barry's limit being reached. And he's throwing a fit of rage because, you know, he can't control his emotions. And we see that the, the following scene when he asks his brother, brother-in-law for help, even though he's a dentist. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't know anything about it. He, he, he thinks because he's a doctor that he can just, you know, help him with anything. So it's a funny scene. Yeah. Very, very much but it's so. darkly funny. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he talked about he, he cries for no reason. Um, yeah. Uh, funny thing, too, then that like, that was uh, Robert Smigel, who yeah. I think created uh, TV's Funhouse. All those and little... Triumph. Yeah. Triumph. He's the voice of Triumph. Thank you very much, Ryan. I totally forgot about that. So I found that to be very kind of cool. And um, yeah. Great point there. And he does a lot of he's done a lot of work with uh, Sandler as well in his comedies. Oh, very nice. Oh, 
brilliance. Um, and then I kind of talked uh, briefly about the late, great uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, oh, yeah. who's one of the managers of the Phone Sets Operation Committee. And I found it great that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson used him again. I mean, he's basically been in every single Paul Thomas Anderson movie since Heart 8. And I thought it was great. Cause... And now his son's in him. Yep, that's right. Cooper Hoffman in uh, Licorice Pizza. So, but yeah, uh, what are you guys' kind of thoughts on Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, as this character? And I'll, I'll go to you, Ryan. Oh, I mean, for just the small amount of time that he's in the film, he makes such a huge impression. Just him yelling "shut up" over and over again. It's, yeah. He, I don't, I won't say he steals the movie no. because you know Sandler does a phenomenal job, but the. But he definitely makes an impact in the small amount of time that he has on screen. I just like the fact, too, that he plays different characters in all of Paul Thomas Anderson movies up to that point right there. I mean, the nurse from Magnolia and Sky mm-hmm. J, um, and he plays a small cameo in Heart Aid. They're all just completely different characters. Not least just kind of the range that he has. Um, but I just kind of found his main... Um, I guess fight sequence that he has with Barry Eaton to be very good. I kind of wish he had more sort of like lines because he's actually pretty funny in this movie. And I kind of wish there was just a little bit more, but all in all, I, I, I definitely had just to give him a quick little mention here. I don't know. Do you have any quick little comments on Philip Seymour Hoffman? I, I mean, uh, as we watched this film just a couple hours ago and even the, the little amount of time he's in this movie, it, it was just, it's, I just said to myself, God damn, I miss Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Man, I miss this guy. Because yeah. <laughs> he's just, he just stands out. He's in like three scenes in this movie, and there's just key moments. And he's just, he's a scumbag, but he's like a lovable scumbag because it's just, he's just such a phenomenal actor. Um, And yeah, I, it's just, I just miss the man overall and, and think, yeah, it, when I see him in a PTA film, I just smile because I know that how much of a presence he was in his films when yeah. he was here. So, I mean, he was a staple of his movies for the most part. The really weird thing, and I'll go off topic just slightly, is that I recently rewatched Red Dragon with um, Edward Norton and, uh, you know, the other sequel to the Hannibal series, um, the remake of Manhunter. Um, and Red Dragon. Yeah. With also Emily Watson. Emily Watson and Philip Seymour Hoffman are both in it. Yeah. And they're, they're both kind of playing similar characters in a way. Because both this movie and Punch Drunk Love were released in the same year. Yeah, about two months apart. I remember it. Cause, uh, well, Red Dragon, for one, was filmed. Uh, I'm, I'm from Baltimore. And this was filmed right. And Red Dragon was filmed in Baltimore. Oh, it was. Oh, uh, damn. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I definitely was there like opening night. I remember that it was not. It was like two weeks before Halloween in two thousand two yeah. when that came out, and then this came out a couple months later. So it was like Philip Seymour Hoffman was all over the place that year, and um, yeah, it's it's you know it's 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 good. It's it's fine. It's, it's fine. You no, know, I don't. I, I just well, now I kind of want to get briefly into like you know Adam Sandler and this. We talked about him before. Uh, before I get into his role in Punch Drunk Love, did you guys have like a favorite Adam Sandler movie before Punch Drunk Love, or did you not? Like, I'll ask you, Ryan. Did you like Adam Sandler before this movie or not? Yeah, I wasn't someone that would watch every Adam Sandler movie, but you know, Happy Gilmore is a classic. Billy Madison. Um, 
Big Daddy. Oh yes. And then even Airheads. I really love the oh, Airheads. Forgot about Airheads. Yeah, it's Pip. Yeah, he's great as Pip. Yeah, that's great. I don't. Ed, did you have a favorite little Adam Sandler movie before this one? Got little Nicky. Oh, okay, yeah. nice. All right. So I. I'm in the minority. I still to this day think that movie's hilarious. Um, I saw that movie opening night in the theaters with my buddy and laughed so hard for the majority of it. And I had never laughed like that before in a Sandler film, uh, granted. And yeah, I mean, Little Nicky was just the shit back in 2000 when that came out. So, but it's also. Does that. It, he did Mr. Deeds also right before. Before this came out, yep. and I also I thought Mr. Deeds was also a funny movie too. So Santa was kind of on a roll in my world. Oh well, time, yeah, so. I mean, uh, didn't uh, Little Nikki have Patricia Arquette as love interest in that? I think Little Little yeah, she was also she was in it. Yeah. Um everyone was in Little Nikki. Hell, even Rodney Dangerfield was in Little Nikki. Oh, that's right. You know, I know I saw yeah. that movie a bunch of time growing up. It was one of the staples. Quentin Tarantino is in Little Nicky. That's right, he is. Oh, shit. <laughs> People forget. That's a movie I should definitely watch again. I know I watched it and laughed aloud. Um, now, for me, the reason why I think uh, Adam Sandler could be good in a drama movie was because of his role in The Witten Singer. Oh, another classic, yeah. Yeah, it is. That's, I love The Witten Singer. That was my, before Little Nicky, that was my favorite. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Nicky, but uh, you know, when Sinner, uh, he actually does show a little bit uh, dramatic chops here and there. So when the mention about Adam Sandler being in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, it didn't seem so far fetched. I'm thinking, okay, I think he, you know, why not? Let's see if he can do it. Because I had no idea what movie Paul Thomas Anderson was going to make. Is he just going to go ahead and make an Adam Sandler movie? Because that's what I kind of thought it was. I thought, oh, it's kind of weird for Paul Thomas Anderson to be making an Adam Sandler comedy. But sure, why the hell not? He could possibly do this. And I thought it was going to be something along the lines of Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, or whatnot there. Like a raunchy movie, but kind of done through the lens of Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, I mean, he's, then, like I mentioned... He's he's a lot less, you know, hippity dibbity and a lot more, you know, serious potential in his role. I, I think the uh, trailers for this film kind of gave audiences a sneak preview of what they were going to be in for. They, they did a good job of, you know, giving people a heads up of what kind of role this was going to be for Sandler. So I think right. Um, and this would be kind of a good uh, sort of segue to talk about the opening sequence because I think this opening sequence kind of just mm-hmm. sets up for the audience what they are expecting or what they're in the mood for when they watch this because uh, it starts off with just Adam Sandler at the desk uh, talking to some sales reps and then he uh, takes his coffee cup, goes out into you know the parking lot and yeah. he's standing out there with his coffee. And um, now I think um, the car that he sees a car crash first, right? Yeah, it's the first thing that happens. Now, also notice there's no opening credits either. That's car. right. You're, you're absolutely right. It's just Sandler on the phone enjoying his peaceful, quiet morning. Mm-hmm. Remember that peaceful, yes. quiet morning. And he goes out and the accident happens. 
very loud, like unexpectedly, this loud noise because there's actually no uh, yeah. music. It, there's just that little part of dialogue. It's very kind of quiet dialogue too. So, so in my interpretation, the car accident never happened. It's it's it represents reality crashing down. It's quiet morning at a sudden movement. At a sudden moment, I mean, like out of nowhere, boom. He's gonna start. Here's everything because he's got that social anxiety going on. So that car crash represents. Here we go, and boom, reality starts now. And you know, the 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 harmoniums dropped off by a checkered taxi. That acts as a symbol of love. So that's, that's... my take on it i kind of like that too and it's sort of represented because after the car crash happens you don't see really aftermath because you just see a very close Nothing. up of the cab there's sirens yeah no Nothing. sounds there are people screaming help me Nothing. yep <laughs> that, that car that car rolls like 20 times <laughs> down the highway <laughs> and then all of a sudden boom because a lot happens a lot to take in even as a viewer because you're focused on that you know car barrel in front of sandler and then all of a sudden, cut to checkered flag van stopped. Harmonium gets dropped off. Boom! It's like, what the hell just happened? You know? Yeah, 100%. That is brilliant. And he brings the harmonium in. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then the shirts open. And he, I think this is where he first meet Louis Dumont's character. And he's talking yeah. about the piano. Uh, and then the part where you think there's going to be opening credits is just. This uh, artwork that's done by Jeremy Blake, and it's just a collage of different colors and images. And a lot I, of color palettes. I love it. I love it. Did you I love that as much as I, I love the the music? Did Did you? I don't know, Ryan. Did you get it all confused when you first watched this movie and saw the all the colors, but not seeing the opening credits to that? I was. Yeah, I was wondering if that first part of the movie was a dream because of this, you know, animation of just colors and no credits. Yeah, I just, I, I thought it was a neat. Uh, so if people think that Paul Thomas Anderson's playing it safe, from that first opening sequence, it just feels like no, he's do he's experimenting more. Uh, I think he's doing a lot more experimentation with his cinematography in this movie. Than he's done with other movies. In my oh, yeah, the tracking shots in this film are amazing. Yeah, and the, the lens glare, it's a lot better than you'd see something from like a J.J. Abrams film. Mm-hmm. And also, I like the um, his usage of the, of the the blue, the color blue palette. That's he, that that's uh, mm-hmm. used throughout the whole film and the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cinematography and the music in this movie is just phenomenal. I can't well, say enough about it. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the, the music a little bit in this. Um, John Bryan's score. Um, now this John will go, Bryan's score. Th- this will go... Uh, now I, yeah, this is the second feature. Well, actually, possibly like the third feature because they did work together um, a little bit on Heart 8. Because both Michael Penn right. and John Bryan worked together on that one. Um, and in... Mm-hmm. Uh, Magnolia was John Bryan's score, but songs by Amy, Amy Mann, who is married to Michael Penn. Uh, and this one's just a straight uh, John Bryan score. And there's one moment i got to talk about this because it's one of my favorite moments in the movie. And I think it really ele- uh, it expresses John Bryan's score very well. And it's the moment when one of his sister brings um, Lena in to meet with him. And just, just like a lot of chaos 
going on in the factory. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment when uh, Egan, or Barry Egan's character, is talking to Lena, and there's an accident going on outside. He's still getting phone calls uh, from the phone sets operator that's trying to extort money from him, and he's trying to right. impress her. And he's like, "So, where are you from? What are you doing?" And then these explode everywhere. And she's like, "Checking on that? Should you check on that?" He's like, "Yeah. Are you guys okay?" And the music just sort of like, it's hard to describe the music for this one, the whole movie, because it's scenes where it's all done with these like, feels like just things crashing and clinking around uh but it so represents well, he's experimented a lot with the the harmonium himself for the mm-hmm. soundtrack um and sam i can't crave enough about the the track he needs me i i'll be at work and that damn song will be in my head throughout the whole entire day i, I love it I, i'll listen to it he needs me which is um you have the Shelley Duvall sample from popeye it's just oh the whole song yeah, that's what that is. That's oh, that I. From why does it? It sounds so familiar. Right. Why am I not yeah. picking up on that? That's okay. Yeah. I I, I recognize Shelley Duvall's then, voice because mm-hmm. he's got a very distinct voice because you you grew up through years watching fairy tale theater. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but that was absolutely amazing. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Yeah. yeah. The Henry Nielsen song. Oh. Yeah. But it sounds so much like a John Bryan score. It just fits perfectly. Yeah, John Bryan and Jonathan Carp, an additional um, composition work for the for the track. So, um, but the whole score, everything, the whole soundtrack from the overture until the, the final track, he really needs me. It's just phenomenal. I listen to that, like I said, that and Greenwood's Phantom Thread scores all the time. All right. That now, now in a weird way, I kind of want to rewatch Popeye again. Now that's very cool just to see <laughs> right. uh, the difference in that material right there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I love that whole sequence because uh, there's that moment right before the song plays because it's that there's a moment when he actually calls the pudding company. So I should mention too that Bergen has this plan to take a bunch of healthy choice coupons from the pudding. To get frequent fly- frequent flyer miles, which is a true story. That yeah, is true. Found a loophole. Yeah. Yeah. Which it is really a- absolutely kind of cool and amazing. But there's that sequence where he calls up the representative, and the representative tells them that it's going to take you know six to eight weeks for it to process. And he says, "Well, you never saw this before in the ad." And he punches the wall, and it shows his bloody hands. And I never noticed this until I watched it this time. But his hands spell out the word love. Yeah, he walks out and he's like, "Yep, oh, taking a dive on the pudding. Going to be 68 weeks, so <laughs> I'm leaving anyway." He's going to Hawaii there. But yeah, yeah, but it, but the, the the it happened to a gentleman named David Phillips. Oh, in, uh, 1999. So, and it, and it was just like the film. Yeah, all the facts. The 50. Uh, I wrote it down. Hang on a sec. 10 purchases of any healthy choice products equals 500 miles, and with the coupon, the same purchases would value 100. Uh, I'm sorry, um, 1,000 frequent flyer miles, and that was a real promotion. There was like a loophole that he found. So, yeah, PTA actually incorporated that real incident into this movie. Well, let me ask you this. All right, now, if he's trying to go for these frequent flyer miles. And he can't get that right away. Now, at this moment of the movie, 
the sets workers brothers have come to town and have robbed him of mostly all of his mm-hmm. money. All right. So I want to ask you, how is he able to afford to go out to Hawaii if he just got robbed and he can't get, you know, any frequent well, house? That hasn't happened yet. I don't think. Unless I'm confusing I, I, the plot. I thought the, the robbery happened no. before the plane yeah, trip to Hawaii. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it happens after Hawaii. Hang on, let me double check. I, I, I could be wrong. I, I know he gets attacked by his girlfriend. <laughs> Him and his girlfriend get attacked by the brother, and he fights back. But it was after their first date. After they had the date, where he smashes up the bathroom, and there's a great moment when he leaves her apartment and he says, all right, I'll see you later, and bye-bye, and bye-bye, and bye-bye, you stupid motherfucker, and bye-bye, oh, you goddamn... He just downs the lobby area. Because... So the break-in happens when they ran the car, right? Yeah, after they have, like, their first date, and he smashes up the bathroom, and he, you know, goes back to her apartment, and he leaves, he comes back... That's after Hawaii. No, no, I after that's after their date. He goes to Hawaii with her when he finds out more about the the coupon deal, right? I believe, yeah, he gets robbed before Hawaii, and then the car crash fight is after Hawaii. That's when he starts to fight back. I mean, I, I said I could be wrong, even though, even though I just watched the movie myself, you know. But I, 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 I don't think it really matters how – and I, I'm just doing like a little fun little nitpicking on there. I don't think it really matters how right, right, he's right. able to get to Hawaii because uh, he does. And, um, you know what, we can probably – As we always say on my show. <laughs> See, <laughs> uh, I think it's fair right now to maybe just kind of talk about uh, our favorite moments in this because this movie is just kind of like a whirlwind. And I definitely want to get to some of my yeah, favorite sure. moments. I, I don't know. I love the Hawaii trip. Just the random, just forget it. I'm just getting up and going to Hawaii and seeing the girl of my dreams. And the soundtrack that accompanies it, accompanies it is just awesome. And it's the only time in the movie we actually see um, Lana wear something that's not red. Oh. She's wearing the white gown. But everything, every other scene in the movie, she's wearing a variation of red, um, which is kind of a, a play on his blue. So like I was saying earlier, yin-yang. Um, but I don't know. I've always enjoyed the Hawaii sequence, uh, and if it, and otherwise, I I really enjoy the opening, um, and what it represents. So I love the moments in Hawaii when he's calling up his sister to get the phone number. Yes, and he's like, "Why don't you? Why are you do this to me? Why are you do this to me? Why can't I just get the phone number? All right, you want that for me? What would it kill you? I'll do it." And he starts freaking out, uh, and they just numbers, and he tries calling once, and it's the wrong room. And when he calls again, the phone booth lights up. Oh, thank you. I was going to say, I made a note of that, that the phone booth and the uh, even the music itself illuminates a little bit. After yeah, she yes, it does. Finally. Yep. So, yeah. And yep. I, I love the sequence when they're actually in bed together and they're kissing. I want to bite your cheeks. So fucking, you're so fucking cute. I just want to bite your cheeks. And then he's like, I want to smash your face with a sledgehammer. You're so pretty. Like, he <laughs> says that. I love it. It's like, who the hell says that? Though? It's but it's how you it's see that they're perfect for each other. Exactly. Yeah. 
that is just what that was probably one of my like I know the first time I saw that that was probably my laughed out loud moment because it was just so unexpected. And he seems to work well that way. Running away from the guys in the truck, and then they finally they're just driving right beside him, and he's running. The guys like, you know where you live, stupid. You see? <laughs> yeah. I always laugh at that moment. Oh well, Ryan, man, do you have like no little favorite moments of this movie? There's one small moment that I find funny every time, and it's where he's running, um, and then he kind of like dives, and then you see him running away. <laughs> Oh yes, he's oh, that that little right before this, right before I was what I was talking about. It's like the little dive he does. I love it. Great, yeah. brilliant part there. Uh, my favorite moment of this movie, and I touched on it a little briefly there, but it's after they had their first date, and uh, he gets up to leave, and just kind of give her a small kiss, and just says, "Well, I'll see you later," and bye bye, and he leaves that room. He's got that great line, and bye bye. And bye-bye, you stupid motherfucker. And bye-bye. bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> he gets down to the lobby area, and he gets a call uh, from Lena's room, and she says, you know, I really wanted to kiss you just then. And he goes back to find a room, but he gets lost. And it's like going back and forth through the hallways. As he goes outside. And when he gets to the room, the moment when the music, the music sort of swells up, and they kiss... That for me is like probably one of my favorite cinematic moments in history. Yeah, just that right there. That could be on a montage of like a hundred greatest movie moments, and that would definitely be in there. Is just that. I'm like that sequence right there for me is like okay, this is why I love cinema. Just the way that it made you feel, and you felt the butterflies and stuff. You felt, you know, you felt heartwarming and you felt the you know the love in the air and you just felt good and it's one of the sequences that made you feel good i can't describe it any more than that but i thought that sequence was absolutely great um i always love the way this film ends it's the way she walks into him and he's playing on the harmonium and she comes behind him and she's like and here we go yeah cut the credits this is a beautiful ending very much so. And I think this movie just kind of says, that, hey, it doesn't matter who you are, what's going on yeah. with your life right there. Uh, there's love out there for you, bud. It's, you know, just don't don't be afraid to let, you know, happen to you. And so, yeah, you know, uh, sometimes it may, the relationship may, you know, not work out. You know, we don't really know for sure because I've had, you know, situations before where just everything seemed like it was going great and then things happen. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it, as, as weird as this movie can be, it's it's a very sweet story. Oh, very sweetly sweet. Absolutely agree. Uh, uh, I I know for me, I would put this as like my number two favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Magnolia is still number one for me, uh, but I still highly enjoy this just because of how different and unique it is. Especially because I watched this again along with Phantom Thread, and very yeah. different tone movie there, but uh, Phantom of the Thread is even better the ne- second time I watched it than the first. I lo- I... Yeah, I think I think Phantom Thread is a masterpiece, and and this is even a breeze to watch. You know, mm-hmm. a PTA film at, at only ninety minutes. Sign me up. Exactly. Oh, uh, was there anything else about this movie you want to you know discuss and talk about? Anything I missed out on before we get into our scores? Um. I think we've covered everything that I wanted to talk about. So, 
Right. Anything new? Um, um, I just wanted to point out that I really appreciate that Emily Watson is able to stick up for herself at the end. You know, he yeah. tells her that those yeah. bad men are gone, and she goes, "But you left me at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, why'd you just leave me there?" Yeah. Uh, and I, he says, "You know, I, well, that's where he sort of missed everything to her. You know, about calling the phone six line and everything." And she's kind of listening to her eyes, like, "Well, you could have just told me that from the start." You know, I'm not here to judge you at all. So. Yeah. yeah. So I really like that kind of honest moment and, you know, that she's not just like, oh, I'm a damsel in distress. I'm glad that you did what you had to do. She's like, you left me at the hospital. I'm mad at you. Gosh. Yeah. Whatever's yeah. sent there. Uh, well, just uh, kind of give me your guys' scores of Punch and Love and then tell audiences why they should watch it. And I'll go to you, Ryan. Give me your score and tell audiences why they should watch Punch and Love. Um. What is the highest score I can give this movie? Five stars. Five stars. I'm giving this five stars. It's, you know, a it's a little bit off the beaten path, but it's a very sweet movie. And I think that you would have to have a heart of stone if you don't enjoy this film. Wow. I like that. Ed, what do you have to say here, buddy? Five stars. All the way. Hands down. Five stars. This this film is just um, it makes it makes me smile. You know, this movie really makes me smile every time I watch it. That's what I come out. That's that's my big takeaway every time I watch this is I'm smiling and it's just oh, just it's a little quirky, but it's heartwarming and it PTA leave it to him to just deliver a, a great message and uh, just a genius script with just wonderful music that I can't rave enough about. Cinematography is gorgeous. The story, the short runtime, everything about this movie is just. Amazing. So I like what you said I can't there. Rave about this movie enough. I like what you said there, Ed. Too. I know. I said I like what you said there too about the movie making you smile because it does. It is like a little ray of sunshine. I watch it every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny too because I watched this with one of my roommates for the first time, and when watching it, he's like, "Whoa, this, this is a horror film. This is absolutely a horror film." <laughs> I cannot get into this at all. I'm like, "Okay, that's." Your comments on this is not so off here from what other people have said at the video store for me because people have read to the movie and they're like, "Yeah, no, this was this was not good. This I can't get yeah. into the character at all. This guy is just too much of a loser." And no, I'm just kind of like, "Okay, all right, well, it's it's not for you. Um, you obviously have never felt any loneliness in your life, and you one probably what's that? <laughs> I was gonna say one more note. Like, don't go into this." Because you see, you know, Adam Sandler on the front cover. Don't go into this movie for the first time expecting an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. The Criterion Collection picked this film up. Okay. That's true. That's yes. How, that's how important this. And now that's how I watched it. That's how important this movie is. It's not your typical slapstick. You know, it ain't Happy Gilmore too. I can't tell you that for sure. I was to wonder too what would happen in some sort of alternate universe where like Uncut Gems was released before this. Like, I don't know. Cause I, I have a feeling too. Now people are kind of used to Ed Sandler and other dramatic roles. That when I think comes he gems... needed this kind of role first. I don't know. Yeah, I, probably I, true. That's that's a whole other episode for another time. That's true. Yes, <laughs> I love that movie to death. Uh, it, it's great, but you're totally right too. The audiences need to ease in the gems. They needed this movie oh, yeah. as like a stepping stone. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely. is a great gateway into him doing different roles. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, I'm at five stars too. 
Uh, I definitely love this flick, and I love everything about it. It's a fun movie. Um, again, gents, I, I want to thank you so much for uh, helping me out on this episode, despite uh, little problems here and there. Uh, but no, it's okay. Things happen. You know, yeah, it was a lot of fun. But I want you guys really quickly, you know, tell audiences about where to find your show, and if you have you know anything coming up in the new season for you. Uh, the Film Attack Podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the Film Attack Podcast. Twitter at Film Attack Pod. We've just started doing TikTok at Film Attack Podcast. Um, yeah, we have, like I said, weekly episodes. Uh, we just dropped The Long Kiss Goodnight for New Year's Eve. We have Ooh. Rain Man, which is a really, it's just, a, just we recorded last night and I, I can't wait for you guys to hear that one. Uh, but we got a lot of stuff coming up in 2022. A lot of Tarantino movies, a lot of John Waters movies, and a lot of great films still to be heard. So, very cool, very cool. Ryan, what about Soundtrack Your Life? Um, you can find us um, on all platforms, soundtrackyourlife.net. If you'd like to be a guest, you can fill out the form there. Uh, Twitter at soundtrack underscore your and Instagram at soundtrackcast. Uh, we just did a holiday episode on Love Actually. With uh, I Hate Your Taste in Movies. They're a oh! film podcast from uh, Canada. I just saw listen to them. They're great. Yeah, I'm a big fan of them. And uh, we've got a lot of great guests in 2022, uh, including um, uh, someone that was featured on the soundtrack for A Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, very, very Thanks. cool. I'm I'm, I'm excited to hear more about that when you I guys post an episode. I think I know who that's going to be. Oh. Well, we'll see. Well, spo- spoiling anything here, I'm, I want to keep myself no, on my no, toes no. and my tippy toes here. Um, well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Cinema Recall. But as I do for every episode, I just got to give a quick shout out to our wonderful Patreon subscribers. And um, so no special order. I want to thank Jason Soto from Rabbit Hole Podcast. Thank you very much, Jason. I want to thank Matt and Ashley from Ashley at the Movies. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I want to thank Jeanette Miller-Mickenham at AK Jeanette on Twitter. Thank you. I want to thank uh, Chris Revel of Let's Chat Media. Thank you, Chris. I want to thank Donnie Roberts, who is going to be our upcoming co-host of the show. And he's found on the Twitter uh, at Unreal Goals. He also is a voice on uh, the podcast for the crowd. I want to thank Linda Castro, of also formerly of Videorama Pod. She does the voice of Mrs. Halverson on Forza Crowd Podcast. So thank you for that. Um, I think we're going to have upcoming guests. It's going to be uh, Heather Bassendale from the MILFcast. And we're going to be talking about um, favorite female action movie stars as well as uh, problematics in movies. The issue of problematic in movies. And I know we're going to eventually have uh, Chris Revel of Let's Chat with Chris Revel, which should all be playing right now if you are listening to this on our main feed. We did our new show with Chris Revel that should have been posted by now, I believe. Uh, but yeah, that's it right now for the month of January. Please check out all of our past shows at cinemarecall.net. We're available on like uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, a bunch of other places you can find podcasts. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash cinema recall pod. Find us on the Twitter sphere at cinema underscore recall. Uh, you can find us on the Instagram 
at Cinema Recall Podcast. You can follow my co-host, Ashley, at Massage.mom. And I just want to say thank you all very much for listening and good night.